Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the Triple Threat Podcast. Yes, we have a great, great show for you guys today. Appreciate you guys always joining us here on the Triple Threat Podcast. And as always, I'd like to thank you guys for subscribing, for listening. Uh, we have been been doing this thing since the season started and uh, got a lot of great compliments from a lot of great people. So we appreciate everybody who subscribes and listens and passes the Triple Threat Podcast home. So uh, we want to thank you guys for joining us. I am DJ Shockley. I got my man, Scott Davidson as well, uh, joining me here today. And uh, I'm looking forward to the day. Scotty D, what's up, man? How you doing? How your week been? Good, man. Just getting ready for the holidays, getting my shopping done, you know? I send out all the Christmas cards in my house. Well, you do that? Yeah, Not I do. your wife? No, because you know why I do it? Because I can do it while I'm watching football. And <laughs> and she she wraps all the gifts except for hers. So I'm like, so, you would do so, all that. I'll, 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 uh, I'll that's a good question. Part. Can you, can you wrap gifts? You're pretty uh, good at wrapping gifts. I usually t- get a little tear. I've had to patch, <laughs> I've had to patch gifts up before, like take a little piece of paper and cover up a tear. I'm with you, bro. I'm terrible. I'm terrible yeah. at wrapping gifts. Like, like, you know how you have to fold the, the top part over <laughs> and make it flat against the, the mine, but looking all bulky and fat. And I put, I still put the tape on and I'm like, Man, they, she gonna rip this off anyway. She ain't gonna care. I know. Look. She want to see what's on the inside. So, uh, you know, it don't look as good as hers, of course. But uh, no, who knows? I don't know many dudes that can rap good. There are a lot of dudes who probably can rap good, but who knows? It ain't me. No, but me uh, uh, we got a lot to talk about today, man. A lot of things going on in the world. Uh, obviously, college football. Uh, you got championship weekend this weekend. Uh, you got the rankings came out. You got signing day. Uh, you got the uh, NFL is starting to wind down the last three ball games of the season. So a lot to talk about in this weekend. Uh, but also I want to mention, we got my man, Jason Campbell, man. Jason Campbell coming on the show. We're going to ask him, of course, about Auburn. Uh, what he thinks of uh, Gus Malzahn being gone. Who he thinks the next coach might be. I'm going to ask him about these championship games, of course. Uh, if you don't remember, Jason Campbell played at the at Auburn University, uh, really good quarterback there. Um, took them to an undefeated record back in 2004. Went mm-hmm. on to play for the Washington football team, played for a couple of different teams, Oakland Raiders as well. Uh, so Jason's got some good insight on college pro, and uh, we'll talk about some of the things he's got going on. Really good friend of mine, played against him in college, uh, golf buddy now. So it'd be cool to talk to Jay Cam and uh, kind of pick his brain a little bit on some stuff going on. Uh, but let's talk about the biggest news uh, going into this weekend, which is what happened last weekend. And ah. I'm just going to leave it out there. Scotty D, yeah, when you beat my dogs, of course, you want to talk about it. So you got <laughs> to talk about it in loss. So the first thing is freaking Shoegate. Marco Wilson, unbelievable. At the end of the ball game, if you've been under a rock, Florida loses to a three-win team in LSU last mm. week. Uh, obviously, it's old news, but it's still new news because it happened and has implications on the big championship game this weekend. But uh, if you don't know, Marco Wilson, corner for Florida Gators, is third and 10, and the Gators are about to get off the field. He tackles the tight end out in the flat, ends up tackling his shoe, rips his shoe off, and then flings it another 20 yards, gets a personal foul call, which you don't ever hear as the referee say he threw his shoe. First time I heard that one. 
but uh, they end up going down, kicking a 57-yard field goal. Florida misses one at the end. As the resident Gator on our podcast, Scotty D, thoughts on the loss, thoughts on what it does to your future, and I mean, were you distraught? Did you just take like five shots to the head as soon as that happened, or what? Now, you know, I, I, I try, I'm trying each year, the older I get, to take this stuff less personal, you know? But you yeah, take your team, baby. I know, but I don't, I don't, I don't want to get too upset about stuff because I, I, got, I got too much other stuff in my life for that to, you know, for everything to roll well, off. Well, I'm that. Now, that's not to say. You. you sound distraught. You sound mad. Yeah, right? that's not to say it didn't bother me, Mark. I mean, <laughs> first of all, the problem with the game was more in turnovers and not scoring in the first half when they when they were driving the ball. True. That was the biggest issues. Uh, Kyle Trask threw a pick six. He fumbled the ball, two picks, and that's uncharacteristic of his season. Yeah. Um, so that's that that put them in a you know in a bad spot to begin with. Um, and and then Marco Wilson. I mean, the guy's been a starter for I think four years, maybe three. He's too too. Too Better much of a man. veteran to do yeah, something do that, like bro. that. Um, and, and, and what I tell people is people's like, oh, what about it's the emotion of the game? But like you mentioned, this dude's played it a ton of big games. The emotion, you got to be able to control your emotions in the big games. Yeah. And if you're not, guess what? Things like this happen. So I have no sympathy for Marco Wilson and throwing that shoe, talking about his emotion of the game, he's hype. Nah, nah. And then your coach. Dan Mullen tried to downplay it. I was like, this is unbelievable. It was a terrible decision by his player. He got to own up to it, man. If he just said, hey, look, he messed up. He made a bad mistake. He'll learn from it and move on. I would have better respect. But Mullen act like it was something that was rare and he didn't see it happen. Come on, man. Well, did you see the game? I mean, it was foggy. He would have had to have been looking for it to see it happen. I believe he didn't actually see it in person. But he shouldn't have – yeah, he shouldn't be letting him off the hook. He's looking out for his kids, and 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 that you want to do that, uh, have your guys back. But you what gotta. About, what about holding them accountable? Hold what them accountable. That? Absolutely, yeah, he, he should. Um, I'm, you know, again, that game was that that could have been. They lost the game for more than that, but that was an irresponsible, um, selfish play. I think if he would have just spiked it right at his feet, just just thrown it down on the ground, it wouldn't have been called. But he had to chuck yeah. it twenty yards. Yeah. Which, yeah, I'd never heard that either. And and the ref made sure to say throwing it, he threw the shoe 20 yards. I, I yeah. thought that was kind of funny, but I, I, you know. But you know what? This brings me to my, to the next topic I want to talk about is the college football rankings came out. Mm-hmm. And with you losing to a three win LSU team, mm-hmm. you only fall to number seven in the college football rankings. Right. Now, Obviously, there are a lot of things that go on in the rankings. We know the top five didn't move. Bama, Notre Dame, Clemson, Ohio State, A&M. Mm-hmm. Uh, big weekend in college football. We talked about all the scenarios last week that could happen. Uh, possibly A&M getting in. But moving to Iowa State up, who has two losses. I know the big conversations about them losing to Louisiana uh, early in the year. Um, mm-hmm. I know that's a big part of uh, Iowa State. They get a chance to play in their conference championship game mm-hmm. uh, this weekend versus Oklahoma. Uh, but – Florida only moving to seven. What do you think about it? First off, I felt like Georgia was probably a little high. At eight, I think the committee is saying your losses, who you lose to matter. And for Georgia, I thought eight is really, really low for them. I thought they should have been uh, further back. Uh, You got Cincinnati there. You got Oklahoma at 10. I mean, you got a lot of teams 
who were behind him. Uh, yeah. I guess you know you look at where he's at. But what did you think when you saw your Gators end up being only a seven? Well, I I mean it doesn't really I don't really think it matters in the end. But I I I, I would I, I think that was the perfect opportunity to move Cincinnati up into six. You know yeah. I think that was that was that was the move I believe. Um, I don't necessarily have a problem with um, you know if you look at them. Iowa State at six, Florida, Georgia, those are sitting at six, seven, and eight, and they all have two losses. Georgia's losses are better, clearly, um, just because of LSU. Right. Um, but, you know, I, it, it doesn't matter where they end. Yeah. I don't – Cause I, cause in the I, top I, four. I, I, still, I still feel like if you beat Alabama, you're still not going to get in. That's what I No, feel. I don't think so either. So, it's an interesting fact. I think they shouldn't. Right now, A&M right now is rooting – right now for Notre Dame. They want Notre Dame to beat Clemson again. You beat Clemson sure. again, I guess two losses. Yeah. They can slide on right in there. And I, I think I saw Bama 99% chance if they win, 95% chance if they lose. So uh, I think uh, Alabama uh, has a good case and they're going to be in it. So a lot of big weekend games this weekend. The SEC Championship, we just talked about Bama and Florida, 8 p.m. on CBS. Mm-hmm. Uh, the ACC Clemson versus Notre Dame, 4 p.m. on ABC this weekend. Yeah, Big Ten Championship, Northwestern versus Ohio State comes on noon at Fox. So that's going to be early where everybody will know automatically, okay, has Ohio State secured that one of those spots? And I think they will. Oregon, USC, they play Friday night, 8 p.m. on Fox for the Pac-12. Washington was supposed to be in that game, but Oregon slides in the spot because of Washington. Crazy. COVID issues, so don't get a chance to play for the Pac-12. And then Big 12, we, we just talked about Oklahoma and Iowa State. That's going to be good. What chance game. do you give Iowa State and, and beat Oklahoma? Oh, I'll give them a chance. I think Iowa State's legit, man. Yeah, they're a good looking ball club now. I mean, I, Rock I think. Purdy, I like him as a QB. Yeah, I, I, they're, they're a solid team. They're, they're kind of, they remind me of Indiana a little bit as far as just solid, you know, pretty good defense. And they're going to need good defense against Oklahoma, as always. But uh, no, I definitely give them a chance. All right, cool, man. I like it. So a lot of big games happen this weekend. Excited about it. Uh, I was supposed to be on the Georgia Vandy game this weekend, but just like 2020, that game was canceled, and we've seen a lot of that happen this season. So uh, no game for Georgia this weekend as a lot of teams are winding down, and I think everybody's looking forward to seeing these championship games uh, hop off this weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we talked about some other things going on in college football. Uh, Notre Dame, what's your take on them? You think they're good enough to beat – a Clemson team with Trevor Lawrence in a neutral site big place. No, no. I mean, yeah, they're good enough to beat them, but no, they're not going to. I'm telling you, it's going to be a, it's going to be a two touchdown game, DJ. What, what, what scenario would you say Notre Dame still gets in if they lose? Is there a scenario where they can still get in? Yeah, I think they've got to lose by a possession, like an end of the a game se- touchdown. Like no, a, I just mean be like within a, be within seven. What about like, like a 57-yard field goal to win? What about something like that, you know? Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think as long as – oh, man. Yeah, I see he, that. He that's how far in the past it is. He didn't catch that. He didn't catch that. He didn't catch that's that. how far behind me that is. That's so far. I can't even <laughs> – All right, man. Let's move on, man. College football, looking forward to a great weekend of championship ball. We got Remember, we got Jason Campbell coming up here in a little bit, man. You got to stay tuned. Jake Cain is going to jump on the podcast and holler at us about a few things. All right, let's jump to the National Football League. As last week, we saw a couple interesting games, and I thought probably the best game uh, of that particular week, Baltimore and Cleveland. Yeah. That game was un- 
unbelievable. Baker yeah. Mayfield, Lamar Jackson going toe-to-toe. That was an awesome game, man. Yeah, you get a chance to check that one out? Yeah, I did. I watched all of it. It was amazing. And I hadn't, and I was thinking, you know, I hadn't watched much of the Browns this year. Yeah. And um I I hear, you know, I see I see scores and I hear people talk about Baker Mayfield. And I I hear, you know, he he goes off one game against a lesser team and then gets stifled by a better team. Bro looked good. He looked really good against a, good. A, a, a you know, a defense that's always solid. Yeah. Um he looked really, really solid. I think he's – I think if I'm a Cleveland fan, I'm happy with him. Yeah, um, yeah, no doubt, no doubt, no doubt. Um, and Lamar Jackson came out like uh, – came out of the IV in the locker room like Superman after ah. they couldn't move the ball with the with uh, Trace McSorley. Bro, so, you can't uh, write that it was story awesome any better. I, I feel bad for the Browns, man. I, I would have felt bad for the Ravens too, but I felt bad because the Browns came back, man. They, they, yeah. they, had, they, were they responded down. every time. Yeah, they were, they were, they were down kind of – uh, they were down a couple of uh, two touchdowns for a minute in that game. So they came back and tied it. And man, what, that was a terrific game. Lamar Jackson coming back on fourth and mm-hmm. five, finding Hollywood yeah. Brown for the touchdown. They Hollywood. Perfect. I mean, it, was, it was crazy, man. Then, you know, the Browns go back down, they scope. And then they had to come back and get a field goal. Justin Tucker. Mm-hmm. So man, what a great game, man. Other quick hitters around the national football league. I thought it was pretty cool, man. We, a lot of conversation about Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts got to start for the Philadelphia Eagles. And the one thing that was impressive was he made this offense look better. Uh, I thought, mm-hmm. you know, he, he went out and, you know, had 160-plus yards passing. He had zero sacks in the ball game, zero turnovers. Carson Wentz is a guy who leads the National Football League in interceptions with 15. This offense just looked different. Uh, some of their players talked after the game, said he came in and gave us a spark. Uh, so it's going to be interesting, man. It's uh, going to be Jalen Hurts, I think, team down the stretch and uh we're gonna have a, a chance to see if Jalen Hurts can take over this Eagles uh team your your your, your thoughts on Jalen Hurts man well I'm this is this is a hundred percent true um back in the early 2000s when I was I was uh, a Falcon season ticket holder um I mean Michael Vick and and Michael Vick was the reason we had season tickets and whenever he would struggle people would complain about um, you know, he wasn't Brady, he wasn't Drew Brees, he wasn't Peyton Manning, he wasn't, you know, uh, whoever. And my argument was always, hey, that's not what he's trying to be. That's not what they need him to be. That's not the person he is. Mm-hmm. I said, I said it then. If he can throw for 175 and rush for 75, that's, ju- that's just, just as good as throwing for 300 yards. No doubt. Because they because hurt. of the because of the variety and 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 defensively how you have to how you have to adjust to that, and and Jalen Hurst threw for one sixty seven and he ran for one oh six yeah. and I'm telling you, you don't need people to throw the you know guys that are in the Jalen Hurts Lamar Jackson mold, Jay, uh, Lamar Jackson's numbers were kind of similar to that too on Monday. But he heard him run the football. He yeah. heard him in all the ways. So like yeah. I mean Baker threw for what three hundred yards. He heard him in that way. Lamar. Yeah. At the end of the day, these QBs had to beat him. And I think that's where you're going with it is. At the end of the day, nobody's the same. You can't ask uh, Peyton Manning to be like Lamar Jackson. Mm-hmm. That's not going to happen. You can't ask Matt Ryan to play uh, like Baker Mayfield because yeah. those are two different players. Like, you just have to be who you are as a QB. And I think yeah. we're seeing that. Does your quarterback move your offense down the field? That's all. That's all. That's what they do. That's, you know. No doubt. I don't care no about doubt. numbers. 
All right, man. Uh, one other quick hitter, man, I want to ask you about the biggest game probably I think of the weekend is uh, Kansas City versus New Orleans. Mm, yes. 425 on Sunday. And my question to you is, should the Saints start Taysom Hill or should they give famous Jameis a chance to run this squad versus Kansas City? Oh, man, that's a great question. I I would I would think if they wanted Jameis Winston to start, he would have already started. Yeah, yeah, I don't I don't think so. I do want to say give uh, hats off to the Washington football team uh, for beating beating up the Saints last week. In fact, they were de- they were a big, and the Saints made a little a little uh, push to to get the game closer. And I do want to apologize because I'm pretty sure in the show last week I called them the Redskins. It wasn't intentional. It wasn't uh, there was no purpose behind it. It's just habit. Um, but anyway. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm telling you, watch that team when the Seahawks have to go visit them this week too. But uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think Jameis Winston is is in the cards for for the Saints. I'd be shocked. Scotty, I said I think they play both because I think about who you're going against, and I think okay. certain certain teams bring out different offenses. Okay. And I think you look at when the Saints went and played Denver. You didn't need a guy who could you know push the football down the field because Denver was struggling offensively. Yeah. Uh, even when they played the Falcons, the Falcons were struggling a little bit offensively. So mm-hmm. your defense, you know, was able to keep you in it and you can find the run game and be kind of methodical with it. But this is a different beast in yeah. Patrick Mahomes and this offense. They're going to put up points. Well, 17, 24 points ain't going to win the ball game. Yeah. And that's what kind of what New Orleans has been doing. Now, Jameis may throw it to the other team a couple times. Yeah. But he also will give you that threat of throwing it down the field. That's not what – Taysom Hill gives you right now. Yeah, That's he's gotten a, yeah. better. He's gotten better, but I'm just saying, if you look at it like that, maybe they play both. Maybe they have a little mix-up in there because of the team you're playing and knowing you got to score points in this game. What do you think about that? That's that's a great take on it, honestly. Um, and, and you know what? If there's anybody that I wouldn't put it – I don't put it past him, it's, it's Sean Payton, right? Yeah. I mean, the, the, the guy is game-planning right now. And, and he's he's tr- he's going to try to catch catch KC off guard. Now I think the game is going to be uh, decided on the other on the other side with you know KC's offense against a, a tremendous uh, yeah, Saints no defense. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. but you got to outscore them, and you're right. And that they haven't you know they've been they haven't been scoring a ton of points. So that's that's right. a great take. All right, man. Uh, last thing before we get to my man Jay Cam and bring him on. Uh, National Signing Day was this week. Uh, I thought one of the more interesting storylines, of course, uh, I think Alabama, of course, is at, at top of the national signing day list. And uh, there's still a few more guys assigned. So I think that list uh, will change, will go in flux. But Alabama looks like they will be the number one class. But the number one story that I thought was pretty, um, I'd say, interesting was Deion Sanders at Jackson State. He mm-hmm. gets a defensive back, the number four Juco prospect, Jawan Warren, from Lackawanna College to flip from the Georgia Bulldogs to his Jackson State team. I mean, Dion coming in his first recruiting class, getting big-time uh, recruits and prospects, I thought was interesting. And if you follow Dion on Instagram, you know uh, he's a good follow. You, you, you hear him talk. He's going to make you want to run through his wall, uh, run through a wall for him. He also got his son who transferred from South Carolina mm-hmm. who plays safety to come there and play. So now he has both of his sons there. One plays quarterback, one played DB at Jackson State with him, and now he gets another big-time recruit. Yeah. Uh, Scotty, here's my question for you. 
does Dion have the shape power to really get these kids to come there and play at a place where they're getting recruited by these power five schools, yeah. but he's obviously got some pull to get him to Jackson state. Yeah. I think you'll see a mixed bag. I don't, I don't think he's going to pull in a, you know, some kind of top recruiting class. They don't have the facilities or the money to, uh, to wow, wow you like when you walk into the Georgia locker room or the Tennessee locker room. And those aren't even, you know, uh, so I, he may get he may get a couple here and there, but this dude's also a JUCO guy, which is a little bit different animal too. I don't know how many you know I don't know how many uh, kids coming from high school after visiting LSU and Alabama and in uh, Oklahoma are going to. Well, Scotty, here's the interesting that. part though. During this time, it's kind of been like a dead period since March, so no kids have been able to go see any school. <laughs> That's really. a good point. That's so, a real good point. So now these kids don't have to be swayed. They just literally talking to these coaches and be like, well, I got a good feel for him. Yeah. I'd love to go play for him. But yeah. in the past, it was like, whoa, look at this facility. Whoa, that's that, hey. and all that. You know, I mean, that's, that's a different thing right now. That is an excellent point. Yeah. I didn't think of, I didn't really think about that. I mean, I knew, I knew that was the case, but I guess if you don't know any different, Jackson no State Jackson State looks great on Zoom calls. And here, here, here's the funny thing. I was listening to uh, Dion here. He put up an Instagram story, and he said, uh, you know what's funny is these Pablo Fire schools are talking about Jackson State. They are saying, we don't have this. We don't have that. Mm -hmm. That tells you you're doing something right because they hating on you already. So yeah. uh, I thought Absolutely. that was pretty funny, man. All yeah, right. the, hey, they're going to hate on anybody that's, that that's poses a threat to them. No doubt, and which is crazy. I bet they never thought – Jackson State will pose a, a threat to a Power 5 school. But right now, Dion's got them rolling in the right direction already. All right, man, we got my man Jason Campbell coming up next. We can't wait to talk to him about a lot of different things here on the Triple Threat Podcast. Stay tuned. Here come my man, Jay Cam. All right, now joining me on the Triple Threat Podcast. I told y'all he was coming on here soon, and now we finally got him. We've been trying to get him for like two years. Not now, I'm just playing. We, <laughs> we were trying to get him, but he, he finally is gracious enough to grace us with his time. My man Jason Campbell is stepping into the Triple Threat Pod. Jay Cam, what's up, man? How you doing? Hey, man, what's going on with the shock? Everybody knows shock is another brother, man. He uh, <laughs> he went to the other school, Georgia, but you know he all right. He's still he's still good with the Auburn boys. Uh, <laughs> I got to watch him and Tim, though. We play golf. Like, you can't, you can't trust the Georgia guys, man, on the golf course. Yeah, they walk into the woods, and this thing, you know, they're talking about they done found their ball and all that. I'm just like, man, y'all ain't found no ball, bro. Take a drop, man. Oh, no, well, I got some ball, J.K. I'm like, man, see. That, that's already the bad part. We already in the woods. So, uh, we, we, we already right. struggling there. <laughs> but uh, we, we appreciate you taking the time, man, to holler us today, man. Obviously, uh, you got some great insights of what's going on in college. You got – Great insights going on in the NFL. Uh, we got championship weekend coming up this weekend. So uh, a lot of things we want to uh, holler at you about. But we got to go back, man, from Laurel, Mississippi, my man Jake Cam, Mississippi boy. Uh, talk about uh, those early high school days, man. And uh, did, did you always want to be a quarterback? Were you always a quarterback growing up? <laughs> yeah, bro, you know how it is, man. You were in the yard playing, you uh, used to call it Killer Man. You know, something you call it something else where you have to throw the ball up in the air. That's what we call it, throw up tackle. All right, and everybody's out there trying to go tackle one person with the ball. So yeah. that's how I got started in football. And then, um, then you know, no, I always wanted to be a quarterback, though, growing up. 
Uh, I was in the yard. I was always the neighborhood quarterback. Uh, anytime we played games, they always say, J.K., are you quarterback? So, <laughs> you know, I was always, like, throwing the ball. And, and I, I just, you know, enjoyed it. And uh, my dad saw me in the yard one day throwing the ball. And he was just like, I think you have a skill. He said, I haven't taught you how to throw a ball. Anyone hasn't taught you how to throw a ball. He said, you have a natural ability. And he said, I think you may have, have something special, you know, being a quarterback. And my mom was like, no, nah, no, nah, he's not playing football. He's not, he's not playing football. He was like, look, I understand what you're saying, but I think you need to trust me on this. And uh, so I ended up start, start playing football when I was 13 years old and uh, ended up throwing the ball around. And I was always a quarterback, man. Never played any other position except for yeah. corner for maybe two two plays as a seventh grader. But other than that, it was always quarterback, man. And uh and grew up in Mississippi, that's what it's all about, though. Like, we used to always be outside in the yard playing. You don't see enough kids playing together no more in the yard. Yeah. A lot of it is because, you know, they have all these other festivities just pulling one direction or another. But, no man, that's how we grew up. That's how we started to love the game. And on Friday nights, like, it was nobody at the games. Like, you yeah. could actually literally rob the town because everybody was at the games watching us play. And, uh, and you know, you look forward to that. And, and it just kept going generation to generation. So, if people don't know, uh, J-Cam is a – was a quarterback that would play at a really high level at Auburn, went on in the National Football League, played for the Washington football team, which they're called now, the Raiders, Bears, Browns, Bengals, had a really great career on the next level and doing some great things now uh, in retirement. Uh, but obviously, it starts for you when you got to Auburn University. And, of course, I want to ask you about what's going on there. But uh, talk about that recruitment, man. Obviously, being one of the top guys out of your state, uh, how did you get to Auburn? Uh, what was the uh, the thing that led you there? What was that recruitment like for you? Man, I tell you what, DJ, you know a lot about it yourself. You know, you was a highly talented recruit. Uh, you know, coming out of high school, man, like, it was fun. Um, I enjoyed the process. Of course, now, you know, social media hyped things up a lot more. Man. Uh, but I remember, you know, like, being on ESPN. ESPN came to my high school, watched one of our high school games. And it was so much fun because – all my teammates got a chance to enjoy it. The school got a chance to enjoy it. The pet rally, everything was on TV. They stayed there for three days. It's kind of filming practice, and they did a whole story. Right. And, uh, you know, it was kind of enjoyable, man, And because uh, I got a chance to share it with other people. And, and like, being a small-town kid, you know, I always looked up to, to Steve Manair. He grew up, like, 15 miles away from where I grew up at. And he came from, like, a 1A school. And I was just mm -hmm. like, man, he was up being third pick in the NFL. Yeah. And it was a Heisman candidate, so he gave me a lot of hope that I can come from a small town and make, and make it to the big leagues. But, you know, recruiting was, you know, I got schools from all over. That's why I tell kids, if they can find me in the smallest town in Mississippi, <laughs> they can find you anywhere. Yeah. You know, a lot of kids say, you ain't got to go looking for attention. It'll come to you. And, man, I was getting schools from everywhere uh, following me and looking at me, and I ended up being the number two-ranked high school quarterback in the nation uh, coming out of high school and uh, – and it's so surreal sometimes you sit back and you really think about, like, where you come from to where God got you at now in life. Right. And it's just like, man, like, you know, it really shows you, like, you don't have to try to go out chasing things, man. You just do right. what you got to do and just stay true to it. You know, yeah. things things are just having a way of falling in place. But, man, these kids nowadays, I don't know, it's just different. Like, see, it's but see different. I, love, I love when you said the fact that, they found you in a little small town in Mississippi. And I think a lot of kids look at it like, man, I play for a single A, I play for a double A, or I play for a team and maybe not that good. But if you do what you're supposed to do at the end of the day, the next level or whatever that goal is, is attainable, right? 
Right, it's attainable. Like I said, in the summer, like summertime was the best time for me. That's when I worked out really hard. I prepared myself for the season. But I got involved in camps. I would go to camps and I would compete against other kids because I wanted to see where my skill level matched up with other with other kids' skill levels. And uh, not just with the guys I played with at the school, but I want to see what's out there and see how hard I got to keep working to see where I want to get to. And uh, and that's the thing, man. Like, nowadays, these kids, they put stuff on social media and they try to do this to draw attention to themselves. And I got to tell them, I said, all the ten- all attention is not good attention, good right. attention. And I said, uh, you know, if you put something out there, make sure it's something that, you know, you don't regret because you can't, once you send it, it's no coming back. So, but, you know, these kids just need to start to enjoy the process, man. They be worried about recruiting at the eighth grade. I got parents worried about recruiting at eighth grade, ninth grade. I'm like, wow. yeah, they're like, y'all concerned with the wrong thing. I said, he shouldn't even be taught, caught up in, first of all, into recruiting right now. I said, he need to be focused on his books, right. you know, focused on doing what he got to do. I said, that's still going to fall in place. But at the eighth grade, man, it's, it's becoming bananas. Man, it's unbelievable. Now you, you look around the country and you see all the, the different spectacles and, you know, the way, I, you know, it's part of, I think, uh, a lot of people put a lot of emphasis on, you know, all these, you know, trainers. Everybody's got a, uh, a different camp or, you know, they're trying to find the best way to do it. And they're like seven, eight years old. Right. And I'm like, it starts from a young age. But uh, you, you're totally right about that, bro. But uh, getting to Auburn, man, what made Auburn special for you? Yeah, Auburn special to me because, uh, like I said, Georgia was on my recruiting list. They was high. I remember taking a visit there. I went to, you know, like, Tennessee, LSU. But uh, when I compared these schools, you know, Auburn to me just felt more like a family atmosphere. Um, you know, being being from Mississippi, uh, Mississippi State and Ole Miss was after me really hard. But I was kind of like, okay, my brother went to Mississippi State, so he'd be mad if I go to Ole Miss. <laughs> like, but then Eli was already at Ole Miss from the year before that recruiting class. Yeah. So then I was just like, um, you know, I really liked Auburn when I was on campus uh, and what they stood about, you know, just uh, it was an opportunity to go there and change a program that was kind of struggling. You know, Georgia was already a good program. You know, LSU at the time was kind of back and forth. But um, but to me, and Tennessee was already a extraordinary program at that time. But for me, I was like, man, it's a great chance to go and change something. And I just remember, you know, Coach Tuberville and the staff, um, you know, saying, man, you'd be one of our biggest recruits since both we can get you to come here and, you know, what the goal is. And, you know, and I kind of like just kind of just fit in, man. Once I got there, like I saw the fans crying after they lost the Iron Bowl. <laughs> and I was just like, nobody was bashing people, bashing the kid. It was just like emotional about it. And I said, man, you know, I, I want to be a part of this. Yeah, that's pretty cool right there. I mean, obviously, uh, being a kid that went to Georgia, uh, you understand what Auburn is about. Been on the campus a bunch of times and a uh, really great place to be, really great school, obviously. Uh, some of the best athletes in the country go to that particular school. So uh, Auburn is always one of those places that I remember always being tough to play against. Um, a lot of people don't – I don't even think they realize it. When you got to Auburn and throughout your career, you had a different offensive coordinator every single year. Talk about how hard it is. Because I don't think people understand how hard it is to have to learn a new system, a new coach each and every year, but you still were able to be successful. I was looking at some of your numbers they came in. Uh, I, I looked through all the years, and you never had more than eight interceptions in a season. Always was productive, always was efficient. But talk about how tough it was for you, you know, to have a different coordinator every single year and have to learn a new system. Yeah, DJ, that's a good question, man. I, I tell people all the time, I like, you know, you don't ever take it for granted. But I feel like everything you go through kind of prepares you in life. Um, you know, yeah, it was tough, you know, because every year you felt like time you got to take another step forward. And you know this playing quarterback, it almost like you had to take two steps back. 
because you have to relearn all over again. And every coach is different. Every coach want to change the footwork. Every coach want to change your throwing motion or, you know, try to get you to fit into their scheme and, and everything like that. So, you know, you try to do the best you can as a player to take what you learned from the last from the last coach and the last offense and try to relate it to what the new coach is trying to teach you. So that way you feel like you're not just throwing it all away and you just start from scratch. So I used to try to find similarities uh, that would that would fit in for me. And that's how, that's how I was able to keep progressing. And, uh, and even NFL, you know, out of, out of 10 years in the league, you know, I think seven or eight of them I had different coordinators. And, yes. uh, and you know, every year in the NFL, my numbers was always up when I had these coordinators. And I was just – my only thing nowadays I sit back and think is – what it could have been like if I could have been locked in with one guy for mm. three, four, five, six years, you know, uh, you know, I was able to have that opportunity. And, but now you see guys where they complain, or they was in the system for five years, or eight years, they get a new coordinator. They talk about how they struggle in the first half of the season. <laughs> and I'm just like, y'all don't care about some other guys when they have to do this. Y'all right. throw right. them on a new coordinator every single year, you know, but right. You know, I always say, man, make no excuses. Just go about your business, handle the best way you can, because not everything you do in life is meant for, for everybody. You know, sometimes it's meant for your purpose, but then other people can see your purpose and then understand the like, man, you know what? He went through all those changes. You know, I can do the same. So I always tell my nephews all the time, I said, dude, be ready to adapt to change. Though you're going to adapt to change more in life than you will having a constant. And, uh, and I tell them, I said, so for me, looking back on it, it prepared me for a lot of things I do now. I like that, man. That's a uh, that's a really good quote, man. And I think it goes directly to what you guys did in that 04 season. Um, obviously, you had a bunch of good guys around you in 04. You guys went undefeated. Uh, probably thought you guys probably should have been, you know, national champions that year. Uh, but 04, you were the SEC player of the year. Uh, had a really great year. Uh, you know, 2,700 yards, 20 touchdowns, seven interceptions. I thought, you know, you were tremendous. I played against you guys in 07. Uh, it was Crazy game. Y'all was crazy good on offense. Uh, but obviously the guy at the, the center of it was you. Talk about that 04 season, man, and how it was so special for all you guys. And going undefeated and doing that in the SEC is really hard. And I think that's why everybody looks at Alabama now. Everybody looks at what LSU did because it's so rare that it happened. But you guys were able to do in that 04 season. Yeah, man. Like, you know, it's hard to go undefeated in the SEC. Uh, you know, like yourself, you like y'all, the year later, y'all end up winning the SEC championship and uh, you end up being, you know, SEC player. So, you know, we share a lot of similarities. Um, when you think about what we did in 04, like, you know, our backfield was loaded. The whole backfield ended up going first round. Uh, we had a first round corner, uh, Jay Ratliff that played D-tackle for the Dallas Cowboys, had a Pro Bowl career in the, in the NFL. And uh, so, you know, in our offense line, McNeil, left tackle, you know, who ended up being a Pro Bowler. and. Hadn't been for hurting his neck in the NFL, you know, he would have played in numerous amounts of years. So, you know, we was loaded with talent, man. But about that team, though, we were so unselfish. Uh, you know, we all had one common goal, and that was just to win. And I remember there was times during the season I was up for the Heisman, Black was up for the Heisman, and, you know, neither one of us really focused on it or cared about it because we was like, neither one of us probably going to win it because mm-hmm. of the way we shared the ball around. You know, we mm-hmm. throw the ball, we run the ball, and we didn't win those teams that throw it 45 times. We weren't one of those teams that going to run it. 50% of the time, you know, we was pretty, you know, we was pretty balanced. And, uh, and I think that would made it so hard for us to defend because all my receivers end up making it to the NFL. You know? hey. and, uh, and that's what's so crazy. Roman Shadu, Omamanu, and Anthony Mix, you know, yeah, all three yeah, of those yeah, guys, news, Courtney yeah. Taylor, yeah, all those guys played in the NFL. So you got to talk about maybe eight guys, or 11 guys on offense all played on Sundays. And, <laughs> and, and that was uh, – 
you know, something tremendous because Al Borges came in and he said, guys, y'all always had talent. He said, y'all just hadn't had the right person that knows how to utilize everybody together to get the mm. best of everybody. Mm. And he knew how to do that. He was a mastermind of putting guys in position to be successful and utilize their abilities. Now, some coaches, you know this, DJ, like it's getting better now, but some coaches would try to take the talent and make the talent adapt their scheme. But great coaches, they take the great coaches, they take their scheme to the talent and just say, look, I'm going to do build my scheme around what you do best. And right. that's and that's how you have success. Why you see like, you know, Mahomes and, you know, Lamar and Russell Wilson, all these guys, they didn't try to change them into somebody else. They just right. took their scheme and sort of fit their abilities into it. And that's what great coaches do. And that's what Al Borges uh, did for our offense. Because I was like, man, I could have had you for two, three years. <laughs> would have been one of the highest, but no. All right, man, sure. Who would have known? Like, uh, he just knew how to, like, he didn't try to change me. He just yeah. did what, he just took what I knew what to do best and just made it work. Man, I, I thought when you said something, it made something come around full circle. You talked about how you and uh, Cadillac Williams were up for the hybrid at one point, and you look at right now what's happening in 2020. You look over down the street to that school. I know y'all guys don't like to talk about, but they got a guy at Mac Jones. They got Najee Harris. They got Devontae Smith. Is there <laughs> – who do you think right now? Because uh, obviously you've been in that position. You know what it feels like to uh, be – uh, looked at as probably one of the top players in the, all the country. Who wins the Heisman, bro? Can, can can Alabama have a chance to do it, or is it because they got too many guys that have to get the football and they have to share it? Man, I'm going to be honest with you. It's going to be either Smith, Devontae Smith, or it's going to be Jones, the quarterback. And mm -hmm. for me, I'm going to go with Smith. And the only reason I'm going to say Smith, I like Jones. He throws a good ball. But, you know, I've seen him sit back there and not have to be touched either. You know yeah. what I'm saying? But when you got to run, you got a guy like Devontae Smith that route, can route run somebody. Like, this guy routes people up. And, yeah. and it's not easy. He's getting double-team coverage, and he's still routing people up and finding a way to get open. He yeah. comes back to the football. You put him at punt return. He's a dangerous threat there. Like, you name another dynamic player in NCA right now that you're more afraid of out there in open space than Devontae Smith. And for me, I say I know it always goes to the quarterbacks because we're always touching the ball every play and everything. But we got to take a hard consideration, man, looking at this kid, man. It's hard to do what this kid is doing as a receiver because teams can double-team you. Yeah. And he's still finding a way every week. He's putting up over 100-some yards, 200 yards. You know, he's about to break uh, He's about to break Maris Cooper's record, you know. And it's just like at some point we're going to have to start saying, okay, we know quarterbacks put up stout numbers. But when you think about the amount of touches that he get and the amount of yards that he gets after Maximize the catch, <laughs> yeah, after the catch, like, man, this kid got to be, like, right up there, like, one or two. And uh, so, you know, it would be good to see him have an opportunity to get it as well. All right, man, let's move on to the National Football League, man. You got a chance. You got drafted. Round one, pick 25. The Washington football team actually traded up back to get you in that first round. Talk about that feeling. We, we've had a couple guys in here who – our first round picks who talked about that experience, but knowing a team traded back then to get you, what was that moment like for you and your family? Yeah, that moment was so surreal. You know, it's kind of like, you know, you don't take that deep breath until it actually happens. You know, <laughs> I, was, I was hearing it was going to happen, but when it actually happened, uh, you know, just to see your parents, uh, you know, crying and uh, family <laughs> around you all excited and pumped up. And, uh, you yeah. know, to me, man, it was more excited seeing their expression than actually like seeing your name called, you know, uh, because the fact that it's almost like, okay, man, this used to seem like a far-fetched dream that's mm. going to take forever to get to. 
And here it is now. The moment has happened, and it's uh, it was a real moment. And then, yeah. uh, you know, to be able to help change, change, uh, you know, the mindset of kids around you and people around you coming from the area I come from, you know, man, that was that was just uh, honorable. I was thankful to God for that. And uh, and the other part was, you know, once I got drafted, you know, it's like okay, now now it's time to get the job done. So when I first got to Washington, of course, College Rogers was drafted the same the same day, same team. So we get to Washington. <laughs> A week later, we get ready to start our rookie mini count, and what happens? I get food poison the first oh. night I get there. No. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so I couldn't, even, I, yeah, I couldn't even practice the first two days because I got food poison. I was throwing yeah. up from the time I ate no. to the time like the whole, whole next morning, bro. I couldn't even like I couldn't do nothing. Oh, I didn't know uh, that. That's crazy. Yeah, bro. And Los <laughs> up there night. Cause me and Los were the same. They had the same apartment. Los talking about. Bro, you all right, man? You here just all over the place. <laughs> no, I said, I said, call the trainer, man. Call the trainer. I already know he was cracking jokes. <laughs> you already know how he is. Uh, he laughing and jumping. I'm like, dude, call the trainer, man. So he finally calls the trainer. And uh, everything, they finally get me over there. They're like, yeah, yeah, you got food poison real bad. So, man, I had oh, it bad, man. bro. And uh, so, of course, that didn't start off right. But then, you know, <laughs> after being there in Washington, you know, we made the playoffs two times that during my five years I was in Washington. But at the same time, man, it was tough because at one point in time, I was only quarterback in the NFL, didn't have an interception through the first nine games. And uh, I had my first pick against the Steelers on like a Monday night. Um, and I was having a pretty good career. But they yeah. kept – it was like a revolving door, though, man. Like every year it was a different change here, a different change there. And you could never just get to phase three without having to take them steps back again. And you know how hard it is to play in the NFL – and you're always competing and always trying to stay above when other teams are staying stable, where they keep yeah. the same coaching staff, you're always changing and people around you are always changing. It becomes tough, man. It becomes draining. But, uh, you know, I ended up my time. I enjoy my time in Washington. Uh, you know, I feel like I had a good career there uh, based on the circumstances. And then with the Oakland, I feel like I was really having a good career. Ended up breaking my collarbone. And uh, it's when I found out the NFL is super business. Oakland hadn't won before I got out there. And once I got out there, I was 12 and seven as a starter. The first year was, I was eight and four as a starter. And next year we started off, I was four and two and was winning against Cleveland at the half. So about to be five and two at that time and I break my collarbone and uh, have a great I, year. Jay Cam, I remember that because I was watching yeah. and I was like, every week I look, I was like, dang, Jay Cam is killing it right now. He out there just crushing yeah. them. Y'all was winning games. And yeah. it's it's one of those things that, I had a couple obstacles I had to overcome in my career, but you had it right in the middle of when you were playing really good. Uh, I know you had the dislocated patella you had in 07. You had the collarbone you was with the Raiders. Just talk about having to overcome the obstacles. Because everybody goes through stuff. Because everybody's like, oh, yeah, I go through stuff in my life. But how do you find a way to overcome the things that you had to go through in your career when at the moments you were there, you were right. probably at the peak of your career playing some of your best football, and obviously it was a good time. But how did you mentally and physically overcome those experiences? Oh, man, it was challenging, DJ, uh, especially when I broke my collarbone. And you wake up, you know, at the hospital, out of surgery um, on that Tuesday morning, and you find out they done made a trade, you know, for a guy that chose not to even play football that year at the oh, time. Man. You know, Carson Palmer, who was at Cincinnati, decided to sit out. And uh, and then whoa, not whoa, 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 go back, J. Cam. So <laughs> you so you wake up out of surgery, and you find out they made a trade for somebody right. that wanted him when Carson Palmer wasn't even playing football. Yeah, you remember that's the year that Carson Palmer, two thousand eleven, decided he didn't want to play for the Bengals anymore. Oh, so he was sitting at home. Yeah. And uh, so I got a surgery, 
And because Hugh Jackson had a relationship with him from being in Cincinnati as a receiver's oh, coach, yeah. they ended up making a trade for Carson. And then not only did they just make a trade for Carson to get through the rest of the season, my contract year was that year. So oh. they was about to pay me because Al Davis, yeah, Al Davis, my agent, was already having a conversation about my extension. Oh. And Al passed away the week before I broke my collarbone. We was playing Houston, and oh, we man. won that game, and Al had passed away that week. So then this the next week, I break my collarbone. So now, oh, all on that Tuesday, Hugh Jackson makes a trade for Carson Palmer. Wow. And now I lose my contract. They gave Carson Palmer my four-year contract. No. Gave him my extension. And I was just like, man, all this time I spent working with these guys and trying to change this young team, and we work together. And I'm at the peak of my career. At this time, I'm 29 years old, going on 30. So you're at the prime of your career. Yeah. And I'm playing my, playing my best football. All my numbers was in the top 10 of every category yeah. that year yeah. at the time that I got hurt. And, uh, and for that to happen, man, I feel like somebody had took a sledgehammer and just knocked me completely like out. And uh, I couldn't believe it. Yeah. And, uh, and it took me a minute to get over it. It took me a minute to get over it. But from that point on, I really never got that opportunity to be a real starter again. Yeah. And that's what hurts me to this day is thinking about what could have been. And that's the only thing you can think about. But I also believe in God, too, man. Like I, said, I said, you know, things happen for a reason. Maybe he was, you know, shielding me from a more serious injury down the road or something. You never know. So, but uh, it took you a minute, man. Sometimes you just got to. You know, you swallow that pill and keep it moving. But uh, that was one of those surreal moments. And like I said, you played in the league. And you, I remember you hurt your knee. And, uh, and I always felt like they still should have gave you more opportunities to come back after that. And, and which uh, is crazy I, is because right. at that time, it was right after Mike was gone. They sent Shab to Houston. And I was battling with Joey Harrington and uh, Byron Leftwich. And that was my second year, tore my ACL. So they played all four quarterbacks that year. So I knew I would have had a chance. And then uh, that third year is when they drafted Matt. So uh, I could feel the pain, uh, but obviously not being in the position that you were where you were about to get that extension, which I know probably hurt uh, even even worse. But what are some things that, that, that you kind of took from that uh, experience that has kind of led you to where you are now? Yeah, man, I just, uh, people, I, I learned that people are always watching, you know, and not just when things are going your way, but when people watch the most when things don't go your way. Right. And because of how I handled a lot of the situation in Washington, I'm able now to do NBC Washington you know, for the Washington football team because of the relationships that I made and the respect that people had for me from going through those obstacles. And the same thing with Oakland, you know, now they Las Vegas Raiders, but I'm still in contact with a lot of those people because of how you handled certain things. Right. You know, I could have been, you know, a butthole about it and caused a whole bunch of issues. And now after your pro career, who's going to want to touch you? Right. You know, so I always tell guys, man, why are you playing ball? Build these, build these, uh, these contacts, man. Like treat people the same way you want to be treated. Even if things go your way or don't go your way, don't mean you got to knock somebody down and build yourself up. You know, you yeah. just keep going forward. And uh, so now, man, doors are opening like I said, I do a lot of I do radio stuff for Auburn, TV stuff, NBC Washington, but I got other opportunities coming up. So, you know, but you have decisions that you can make because they're coming to your door. And they wouldn't come to your door if you would be a butthole or just be a selfish person. So, man, I always tell guys, man, nowadays, like, don't make things always about yourself, you know. But when you have a time to, to do something, when it's in a, a moment that's where it's not going your way, yeah. like, man, look yourself in the mirror and just handle it with, with the right attitude, the right mindset, man, it'll always come back to you because everybody always based life about how much money somebody got. Man, some of the most richest people I know in the world are the 
most unhappiest people. True. You know what I'm saying? So True. money ain't what drives you. It shouldn't be what drives you. You know what I'm saying? Like you should be wanting to do stuff that you love to do. Yeah. And of course you want to have, you have compensated for it, but make sure you're doing what you love and not just being used. I want to tell people now that listening, man, obviously uh, people hear guys like yourself talk and they wonder if guys are like that in real life. And I had opportunity to know you for a bunch of years now. And for people listening, this is who J.K.M. is. Like, he is just a good, salt-to-the-earth guy who cares about everybody around him, give him whatever he got. So the fact that you're being able to give this to the people and let them know that, hey, I done been through stuff. I done been injured. I done, you know, had my, my heart broke. I've been, you know, I done had all kind of stuff happening in my, my life and career, but I'm still able to build off those experiences to help me where I'm now because I see you. Uh, doing the stuff for Auburn. I see you doing stuff for, like you mentioned, with Washington. Now I see you building a relationship. Now you're about to be like building courts and turfs and all that kind of stuff for uh, different uh, people in, in areas. I saw you the other day. You was with Shaq. I mean, those relationships <laughs> just don't come just off because of, hey, I played in the NFL or something. Those are because people want to introduce you because of who you are and respect who you've been. Um, Obviously, I want to ask you about Auburn. Uh, Gus Malzahn just was let go a few weeks back, uh, even though he had a, a really good career. Um, uh, I know you got to win those big games versus Bama, Georgia, LSU. I know those are the games you have to win. I think he was 8-17 and 17 or something like that, I guess, against those uh, the big games. Your thoughts on uh, them letting Gus go and who do you think they need to, you know, kind of bring in there to bring that Auburn program back to like when you were there? Yeah, you know, that was tough. You know, I knew Gus. Uh, like I say, you know, Gus was a stand-up person. Uh, like I say, he couldn't ask for a better person character-wise and, and, and everything. You know, but you always know, DJ, you know, on the field, man, to, to the boosters and to, you know, alumni, it's about winning the big games. And, uh, and, and the way you lose sometimes, you know, it's not just like, oh, you lost, but sometimes it's just the way you lose. And, you know, I think right now, man, I think, you know, they feel like the program just wasn't looking like it was going in the up direction. And, uh, and I'm pretty sure it was a tough decision uh, that they had to make, especially during a pandemic pandemic year, you know, so much going on and so much happening, you know, uh, you know, it was probably just a tough decision for the AD to have to make. But, you know, the, the hard part is, you know, you have to pay him $21 million. Yeah, to be released. He got got 10 mil in the first 30 days. So he gets 10 mil in the first 30 days. (laughs) And then, you know, he gets 10 over the next four years, uh, 2.5 per year. So I don't know too many people that get paid that much money, they lose their job. But, you know, I wish him the best in everything they do. You know, as a coach, I know he's a competitor and still would like the coach. But, uh, you know, from a standpoint of now the program trying to search for a new coach, you're kind of in the hole a little bit. And what I mean by that is, it ain't just him you got to buy out. You know, if you don't keep some of the assistant coaches, then you have to buy their contracts out. Mm-hmm. And, and we'll see when the head coach loses his job, it's harder on the other families as well because it's not just him and his wife. Yeah, that's a good The call. assistants, you know, they forget have to about the assistant coaches. You forget yeah, about the assistant them, coaches man. and stuff. So, you know, right now, man, uh, knowing two of the guys on the staff that played ball with me, you know, Cardinal Cadillac Williams and uh, Travis Williams, who was on the 04 team, Man, these are two great young coaches. You know what I'm saying? They get like recruiters, recruits and everything. Yeah, so whoever gets the job, man, I hope they're smart enough to understand, like, look, we definitely need to keep our young, great coaches on the staff and uh, and keep people around and know the program and everything that can help them as they try to learn that way. Right now, you know, we're still trying to figure that out because 
I don't know if you can go get a, a name that you got to pay six or seven million dollars to because you had to pay this buyout. And uh, so, you know, you're kind of limited, but at the same time, I don't, I don't know who they're going to hire right now at this standpoint, but whoever it is, you know, I know they're willing to compete and ready to get this program, try to, you know, get it trending up, but I just hope they keep the young talented coaches that are on the staff, not because they my boys, you know, <laughs> but because I know they're solid coaches, man. I know they're yeah. honest guys and they, they work their tails off and they got more to offer than to lose. So, you know, yeah. hopefully it all works out. That's a good point, man, because I remember playing against Travis and playing uh, how hard of a worker he is, how much of a competitor he is. If you watch all the games, you can see him on the sideline right. going crazy and obviously having a guy like Cadillac on that staff who played at a high level at both college and pro uh, right. is big for recruiting. Rodney Gardner, who recruited me at the University yeah. of Georgia, is another good recruiter. He brings out me. Just think about all the D linemen. Yeah, you got to keep Rod, man. Rod got to put some guys in the league. Man, man. Like, what? You cannot let Rod go. <laughs> I'm telling you. Yeah, so uh, that, that's going to be interesting, man. That's a good point, bringing up the, the, the uh, assistance, which is a big thing. Um, I want to ask you about this weekend, man. Obviously, uh, you're a guy who played in this game a bunch of times. know what it's about. Uh, give us a little – kind of outlook on what you think about this Alabama and Florida game, who you think wins, what has to happen for Florida, because I know everybody thinks Bama's going to run away <laughs> with it, but uh, what, are, what, what are some thoughts you have on this SEC championship game coming up this weekend? Man, I tell you what, you know all about this game, DJ, like, you know, the record's out the book, I mean, out, yeah. the, out the door, you know. Uh, it took a little bit of lackluster off this game because Florida lost to LSU, yeah. you know, that, uh, that stung, uh, you know, with them losing that game because them coming in here, you know, only one loss against an undefeated team. Man, it's getting the playoffs. I mean, yeah, man. it's playoff implications on the line. It's SEC championship on the line, and and now Florida's pretty much eliminated from the playoff playoff thing. Their only way or only shot, I guess, is to beat Bama. So you still have that high thing there. But the thing is, you know, Ohio State's only played six games, and you know, and this team has played eleven games, and. I don't know how that's fair. Fair is not fair, you know, but I That's Texas A&M. Texas A&M. Texas right A&M. Yeah, I mean. right there, one loss. You know, I'm just like, the SEC chose to play ball even from the get-go. I said the Big Ten chose not to, and then they came back later and said, all right, right. we're going to do this. Right. So how are you going to punish teams that play 11 games and a team that only plays six games, they automatically get – into the playoffs, and they didn't even have a hard schedule. The only team they really played was Indiana, yeah. and they got a pretty tough game against Northwestern. They're a pretty good football team. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it just made things complicated. I thought maybe this year they probably should have extended the playoff to maybe six teams just because of the fact that you shouldn't have to leave out two teams that played twice as many yeah. games uh, as, a, as an undefeated Ohio State team. I thought this would have been a year to compromise based off the pandemic. But, man, I think about this game this Saturday, man, it's going to be a, a, a slugfest, I feel like, because Florida got some weapons, too. too. And, you know, Alabama struggled early in the year defending the pass. They've gotten better. But Florida do a damn mother do a pretty good job of scheming guys and, and getting guys open. Child Trask has had an unbelievable year throwing the yeah. football. Uh, so I think this is probably going to be their best passing attack that Alabama has seen this year um, from a defensive standpoint. I think from an offensive standpoint – had nobody slowed down Alabama yeah. all year, you know, and uh, and everything. So it's all going to depend on. And Florida got some guys on that defense that projected to go first round. So you know they got some guys that this was a team that's going to compete. I think they they had an opportunity them to to slow them down a little bit. But 
you just don't slow stop a team like Alabama mm-hmm. on offense. You can slow them down, but no, you can't stop them. So <laughs> they got to figure out how they do that. Florida got to play ball control on offense, keep the ball, keep the Jones and Smith on the sideline by controlling the game, staying on the field, converting third downs, and just working that clock and methodically moving the ball down the field and trying to score touchdowns instead of field goals. J.K., another game I want to uh, ask you about real quickly, Notre Dame-Clemson. Uh, obviously, Notre Dame got the big win the first time in South Bend yeah. with their backup quarterback in overtime. Is there any way Notre Dame beats Clemson again this time on a neutral site with Trevor Lawrence back? No way. No way. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just going to be honest with you. No way. Because, you know, the first time they played, you know, and Trevor Lawrence wasn't playing – you know, it's a huge difference from a guy that's getting all the reps all summer and starting to the guy that's saying, okay, you had one game, but right. this is his second week of getting reps. And the kid played good. The kid played yeah. extremely well. Yeah. But Trevor Lawrence, a guy that's experienced in that situation, you know, I think he makes a big difference. Like, it's something to say that you can't, you can't buy experience. You know, it's just, uh, you know, just something that – so I think with him being back and uh, having an opportunity, I say this, if – Clemson only wins by a touchdown or a field goal. Notre Dame stays in the playoff. Ooh, I now, Notre I like Dame, it. Yeah, Notre Dame gets beat by two touchdowns or three touchdowns. They might fall out of the playoff. Yeah. And Texas A&M may find themselves in there. So, um, you know, it's, it, it, it's still a big game, man, this weekend. Yeah. But I think Clemson wins by at least uh, seven or ten. All right, man. I like that. All right, we well, we got some some hot takes there from my man, Jay Cam. Last thing before we let you get out of here, Jay Cam. I know you love the golf. Uh, I know you got some other hobbies, but what are some things that you're passionate about? And I know what you're passionate about, so I'm going to need you to go ahead and say it and don't lie because let the people know what J-Cam is really passionate about these days. Hey, man, you know, bro, you know I'm all about home renovations, DJ, and, uh, <laughs> you know, and everything like that, man. Like, uh, I, I enjoy, uh, you know, fixing up houses and stuff, man. I enjoy uh, Okay, I know the renovations, too. Okay, yeah. J-Cam. Hey, I've been in J. Cam House a couple times. The dude, you would think he has a professional interior decorated in his crib, but it's all him. Okay. Besides the renovation, what else is J. Cam passionate about? Ah, uh, man. You want me to tell the people? Because I can tell the people. Yeah, go ahead and tell the people. J. Cam, if y'all don't know, is a fool D. My dude loves food. <laughs> My dude loves desserts. If you follow J. Cam, you're going to see some of the best food you see ever. Because my dog, he has some of the best taste in the world you like to eat. Take all care. day. All day, man. Every day I get up, bro, I'm trying to find the best meal, bro. Like, that's, <laughs> I, that's what I do, man. Like, you know, if I can't cook it, I'm going to find it somewhere. Like you follow me at J. Cam 17, you'll see it. Every now and then oh. I give y'all a little, a little teaser. And then oh. I stay away for a little bit. And then come oh. back. But, you know. I like to share my food, man, with people so they can no see, uh, you no know, doubt, see, no some, see some different tastes. But, uh, yeah, man, I'm a foodie, man. I'm a foodie first and foremost, bro. Like, everybody know that by yeah. now. Uh, I don't really do a whole bunch of desserts. So when I do put a dessert out, you best know it, it's well worth it. It's going to so, be the uh, deal. Oh, yeah, it's going to be the deal. <laughs> like, it ain't something I'm playing with. You know what I'm saying? Like, if I'm going to have dessert, I'm going to have dessert. You know what I'm saying? Oh, so. Man. Yeah, but man, I enjoy it though, bro. It's 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 like no so, doubt. My dog, my, my dog has some good stuff when he put it out there, man. You'd be like, where where, where you at, J. Cam? Where, where you been at? Cause uh, the food always look good, man. J. Cam, uh, tell the people where they can follow you, how they can uh, find you on the different social media. Yeah, man, y'all can find me. Uh, first of all, my podcast, Auburn, uh, Believe in Auburn, B L E A V. Uh, it's free subscription. 
Uh, so uh, go on and subscribe. My girl, Taylor Beth Davis, works for ESPN and Carolina Panthers and went to Auburn. So she's on there as my co-host. Um, also, you can find me at jcampbell17 on Instagram, uh, Twitter, jcam underscore 17. And then uh, look out for my new podcast I got coming out as well called The Fifth Quarter. Uh, I'll be doing that with one of my homeboys named Al. Uh, we're going to be talking reasons called The Fifth Quarter. We try to tell guys – what are guys doing after they finish football, basketball, or any other sport they're playing, what they're doing in the next quarter of their life, and, uh, and how this business meets up with uh, athletes and everything, and how we all coexist and, and meet some of the same similarities. So, no, be on the lookout for that coming in January. So, I got some things moving, man. So, uh, nice. that was getting fun. Nice, man. Y'all make sure y'all go check him out, man. Y'all heard he got two good podcasts that's going to be out. One is already out at – uh, I see him talking about it all the time. Has some great guests on there. And then you got the fifth quarter coming out. So y'all make sure y'all follow my man, J.K. J.K., I want to tell you, man, I appreciate you, bro. Uh, we've been friends for a, a nice little minute now. You've always been a stand-up dude, and I appreciate you taking a little time out of your busy schedule uh, to join us here on the Triple Threat Podcast, bro. Nah, I appreciate it, fam. Thanks for having me on, man. Tell the family I said hello. Hopefully you and Portia. You know, invite the crew back over. Y'all done decorating and stuff, man. So, you know, I'll give y'all a little bit more time then we're going to come through. Once, once the pandemic all good, we'll we have everybody over have a good time, man. Yeah, all right, man. man y'all, we appreciate everybody joining us here on the Triple Threat Podcast. For my man, Scotty D, who we talked to earlier, who all about everything. My man, Jake Cam, <laughs> was uh, dropped some jewels on us today. And uh, he's going to continue to drop some jewels on you guys. But we appreciate you joining us. Continue to follow, subscribe, and listen, and just share. This has been the Triple Threat Podcast. I'm DJ Shockley, and for Scotty D, my man, Jay Cam. Peace. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.